big questions that need big answers. Big questions that need big answers. And um, we started a couple weeks ago by talking about why we ought to believe the Bible and why we ought to trust the Bibles that we have today. Um, the, the big idea behind that, as you will hopefully remember, uh, is the historical fact about what? The resurrection, yes, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of the historical fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we understand it, it is because of that that we even have the Bible in the form that we have it today. And because of that, uh, that uh, we can trust it. Uh, it, it validates the New Testament. The New Testament and the teachings of Jesus there is what validates the Old Testament. Uh, because of that, we can also believe what the Bible says about itself. And then we also spoke uh, about uh, what our attitude should be towards Scripture uh, because uh, of our understanding that the Bible uh, is divinely inspired. It comes to us from God and uh, how we ought to approach it, how we ought to study it. And then just last week, we talked about one of the biggest, uh, what is often one of the biggest intellectual obstacles uh, in front of people when they try to come to faith in Christ, and that is what is commonly known as the problem of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? If there is a good and a powerful God, then why does he continue to allow evil to exist? So, um, we spoke about that a little bit last week. I, I do want to mention again, I hope you understand, I'm not claiming to give you uh, uh, definitive, uh, exhaustive answers about all of these things, uh, or really about any of them. Uh, it's just the fact that there are uh, tools and teachings that are available to us that can help us uh, if some of these things are troublesome to us. The question that I want to deal with today, and, and let me throw out uh, again this invitation. If any of you have questions, uh, besides one smart aleck who said they were trying to figure out why bologna and lasagna are pronounced the way they are when they're not spelled that way, besides those questions, <coughs> if you have Bible questions... Christian questions, <laughs> um, you know, why, uh, why this or why that? You know, somebody mentioned uh, the other day a, a question uh, about the Bible, and I, I'm thinking one of the directions we might go uh, in future weeks is dealing with Bible difficulties. You know, there are some passages and some teachings uh, that are, um, are difficult, not impossible, but difficult. And so we might look at some of those. But again, let me throw out the invitation. If you have a question uh, about Christianity or about the Bible, and you say, this is something that I've always wondered about, why this is, and uh, I've, I've never been satisfied, uh, bring it to me. I'm, I'm not going to promise that I can give you a good answer, but it may make a good topic uh, for this series, big questions that need big answers. The question for today is this. Isn't Christianity intolerant and arrogant? 
Isn't Christianity intolerant, and maybe I should say it this way, intolerant and therefore, because of its intolerance, arrogant? This is, if you've, if you've lived much at all outside of the four walls of a church building, then you know this is a common general perception in the world that we live in. I mean, uh, changing the message on the sign, the, the marquee out here this week, you may have noticed on one side, uh, that sign, it says, Jesus is the only way. And, and we believe that, and it is specifically because we believe those kinds of things that people in the world often look at us and say, you Christians, you're so judgmental, you're intolerant, you're arrogant, because you believe everybody's wrong but you. Now, there are three groups of people that this question, this issue, would come particularly close to. Um, those of us that, for the most part, we have had a good experience with church. Uh, church has been good for us, and it has uh, fed our souls and provided us with this understanding that it is through the church that God ministers grace to people and brings lost people to salvation. And, uh, and because of what the church means to us, it is embarrassing to see the way we are perceived in the world. This is where I land, to be honest with you. It troubles me, it bothers me uh, that uh, the, the church is off. And I, I understand Jesus told us in the world you will have tribulation, all of this. Uh, we would be rejected because of following Christ. And Jesus said he came not to bring peace but a sword, to bring division and, and all of that. I understand that all of those things are true. However, they ought to be true for the right reasons. You understand what I'm saying? They should never be true because of Christians who are obnoxious in their stand for the right things. And I hope you under understand, we can be standing for the right things, but be doing it in a completely wrong way, in a way that m causes us to be a stench in the nostrils of the world in which we live. And quite frankly, I think we've seen all too much of that in the world that we live in in recent days. A second group of people that this question uh, is, uh, would come close to, um, <laughs> uh, let me try to say this kindly, I, I don't really think there's anybody here I, that would fall into this camp. There might be, though. I, I hope not. Um, maybe you are the obnoxious Christian. Um, maybe I'll just throw this out and, and then leave it alone. Um, if you have the feeling in your understanding of God's Word and the Christian faith that it's always right and never wrong, and you, you portray, and I'm sure in most cases it's unintentional. I... I, I I don't think anybody that really knows Jesus would intentionally portray him in a way that's obnoxious to the world. But there are some people that, whether it's by temperament or, or I, I don't know, 
something they've picked up. They're just some people that, bless God, I'm right, and this is the way it is, and you know, you, you can like it or lump it. And, and they portray a picture of Christianity and, and the church. Um, maybe I should say it this way. Um, if, you are, if you have those kinds of feelings that say, well, if you, you know, if you disagree, then, well, that's just your problem. That's just your tough luck. You might be one of the people that needs this. Everybody smile or groan or something. Okay. <clears throat> or there's a third group of people. There is a group of people that has had a bad experience with the church. And um, people that have experienced God's word presented in a way uh, that there were no there was no room for any questions. There was no room for any discussions. You either took your medicine and swallowed it down, or if you didn't, you were treated as a something less than. And you maybe had a bad experience with the church, hopefully not this church, but some church somewhere, and they are out there, friends. They are out there. And because of your past experience, you have decided that you don't want anything to do with the church. You don't want anything to do with the Bible. You don't want anything to do with Christianity because that's your, that's your perception of what the church is. I would say, first of all, if you fall into that category, I would want to say on behalf of the kingdom of Christ, I'm sorry that that was your experience with the church. And what you saw portrayed was not an accurate representation of Jesus Christ. But let me also tell you this. Quote from G.K. Chesterton who said this. He said there were five times, and I'm not sure what times he's referring to, but he said five times in history that the church has gone to the dogs. And in each case it was the dog that died. So just because you had a bad experience with the church, and I, I know people, I have, a, I have personal friends who are currently rejecting Christianity and rejecting the church because of the image in, that they have in their mind of Christianity and the church. And I have told them time and time again, what you have, the picture you have in your mind of Christianity and the church is a caricature, a cartoon image. It is not an accurate portrayal. So all of that being said, why is it that the church and Christianity is sometimes seen in this light? We are viewed sometimes as intolerant and arrogant. Well, we all know that we live in a society that places a high value on freedom and individual liberties. You can listen to the news probably once 
and hear some of the debates that are going on currently in the world that we live in. And, and because of people taking different sides on various issues, you will see a little glimpse of, of the value that our country and our society uh, and, and I would say probably the Western world as a whole and the United States in, in particular, the value that we place on freedom and individual liberty. Show a picture like this and ask people their idea of freedom. What does this image, uh, what kind of feelings does it provoke in your mind? How does it make you feel? And you would get a variety of responses, but Sadly, what seems to be the case in the world that we live in today in the United States of America is that uh, freedom means to most people, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, that is my right, and you can't threaten that right for me, and if you don't like it, then that's just too bad for you. Because this is my freedom. This is my personal liberty. But there's a problem with that. You see, friends, freedom is a moral concept. And it only can exist within a moral framework. In other words, it is, it is freedom attached to or along with moral values and a certain ethic of living. And when, when those two are divorced from one another, when you separate freedom uh, from its moral framework, the result of that is never a good thing. We, we see it more and more in the society in which we live, and if you want to see it uh, more fully, you can look back in past histories, past societies, where freedom has been separated from its moral framework, and the result is anarchy, lawlessness. And you know what happens when that takes place? When, when the value for freedom and individual liberty gets to the point where um, nobody can agree on anything and it leads to anarchy, then gradually we begin losing those freedoms. And we end up things with things like socialism and, and dictatorship where, well, let's not, let's not try to go off in that direction. So we understand this is the world that we live in, a, a, a country, a society with a high value for freedom and individual liberties. So what happens when those, uh, that kind of society uh, runs into a worldview or belief system that is based on certain truth claims, such as Christianity. Now, let me not get ahead of myself. Christianity is based on certain truth claims. In other words, we believe certain things are true, which means if something is true, then the opposite of it, or what is contrary, must be false, right? Are you, are you with me? So, and the reality is we cannot avoid truth claims. It is impossible to avoid truth claims. 
every, uh, every society, every belief system, every worldview is based on certain truth claims. Now, they may try to tell you that uh, they're, uh, they're not an either-or, they're a both-and belief system, uh, such as Buddhism or Hinduism. Uh, for instance, but I, I heard uh, about a man who was having <coughs> a, a discussion with a lady. I believe she was uh, she was a, a, a Buddhist, and um, she said, "I gather from what you're saying that you are a Christian. You believe Jesus is the only way." And he said, "Yes, that's correct." And she said, "Oh, I could never do that because I could not be uh, a, an intolerant person like you." He said, well, you're a Buddhist, right? And I, whether you know this or not, it's the truth. Buddha uh, pointed out that the, the Hindu belief system, Buddhism, I believe, was a reaction against Hinduism, and pointed out that the Vedas were, were wrong and, and certain aspects of their belief system was wrong, and Buddhism was based on those claims. And he pointed out to this lady, well, isn't that true that he said that? And she said, yes, that is true true and then she said I don't like the direction that this conversation is going reality someone said is what you run into when you are wrong and your perception of what is right and what is wrong does not change reality this poor lady thought that there was an open door in front of her when in reality it was a closed door. And when she ran into it, collision. This is what happens when you have a society, a culture that places a high value on freedom and individual liberty and then there are worldviews that say, we are, our, our worldview, our belief system is based on certain truth claims. We believe this to be true. What is contrary to it cannot be true. Now, again, there, are, there is something called relativism. And I want to encourage you to, to keep your thinking caps on and, and stay awake. Some of this is a little bit academic. Um, but it's important. It's important. Relativism is the belief that there is no absolute truth, only the truths that a particular individual or culture happen to believe. In other words, my truth is true for me, your truth is true for you, and they may be completely different. They may be even uh, opposed to each other, but, you know, that's, that's okay. That's relativism. The, the problem is all truth is absolute and it is true for all people at all times and in all places let me say that again all truth is absolute truth and it is true for all people at all times and in all places you see the idea of relativism the the belief that there is no absolute truth is a self-defeating statement now, if you've ever studied logic, uh, philosophy or logic at all, then you know what a self-defeating statement is. But let me just give you some examples of a self-defeating statement. No sentence is longer than three words. That is a self-defeating statement. You understand? 
because I made a statement, no sentence is longer than three words. Well, that is a sentence, and it's longer than three words. So it cannot be true. It defeats itself. Here's another. I cannot utter a word of English. It's a self-defeating statement. It does not work logically. Here's another self-defeating statement. There is no truth. There is no truth. If somebody says to you, there is no truth, let me tell you what to say to them. If somebody says, there is no truth, you look them in the eye and ask them, is that true? Because if it's true that there is no truth, then the statement defeats itself. It does not work logically. Here's another one. True for you, but not for me. That's true for you and not for me. If somebody says that to you, you look them in the eye and you say, is that true for everybody? Or here's another. There is no truth in religion, only science. There is no truth in religion, only science. Here's what you ask them. You say, can you prove that scientifically? Because that is a statement in and of itself that cannot be proven scientifically. It is self-defeating. And you see, believing something doesn't make it true. And, and, you know, we have this cultural value for freedom and also for niceness, especially when it comes to, to religion. You know, religious people are supposed to be nice people. And it's not nice to be intolerant. It's not nice to say that you're right and somebody else might be wrong. And so when we share our beliefs or try to live out our beliefs in the public arena, it's not popular because somebody will always be excluded. And the reality is this, friends, that truth claims always exclude someone. Truth claims cannot be avoided, and truth claims always exclude. So with all of these, all of these issues and all of these uh, ideas, our, our culture's value for freedom and individual liberty and this understanding that, that we cannot avoid truth claims and to, truth claims always uh, ex exclude, um, you know, tolerance. We, we live in this society where tolerance is considered perhaps the most important virtue of the modern day. When you think about character traits and character virtues. But do you realize this, that in and of itself is a self-defeating stance, tolerance? Because you know why? Someone says the, 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 the preacher of the gospel of tolerance that says, you know, you Christians are so judgmental and you're so intolerant. Anybody that doesn't believe like you believe, you say they're wrong. <clears throat> the reality is, the, the preacher of tolerance is willing to tolerate everybody but the one that doesn't agree with them. It is self-defeating. So this question, is tolerance really a virtue? Is tolerance really a virtue? Well, let's, let's give a little illustration. Suppose that I go uh, home with one of you, one of you, you in invite me for, uh, you invite me to your house, uh, and you're going to serve me dinner, and we're going to have 
uh, a time of, of, of eating together and fellowship together. And uh, then the next day, you, you walk up behind me and you overhear me talking. You say, say I went to John and Pam's house. I went to John and John invites me over. And uh, the next day, I'm, I'm talking with somebody else. I'm talking with Maurice or Sister Grace. And, and I don't know that John and Pam are right behind me. And, and Sister Grace says to me, oh, I understand that you had dinner with John and Pam and had a visit with them. How, how was your time with them? And I say, well, I was able to tolerate it. Oh, I, I understand that they cooked dinner for you. How was the food? Oh, it was tolerable. You see, you, you get the idea very easily. Nobody wants to be merely tolerated, right? Right? Nobody wants to be merely tolerated. If I, if I say to you, I will tolerate you. I'm willing to tolerate you. What that means is, what I'm really saying is, I think you're wrong in some way and possibly stupid or stubborn, but that I'm such a nice guy that I'll put up with you anyway. That is tolerance. That's tolerance. And I know we hear this, you know, you Christians, you're judgmental, you're arrogant. And I, I thought Jesus was all about love and acceptance. You know, doesn't God love us and accept us the way we are? And, and so, you know, why is it that you Christians take the positions that you do and you think, seem to think that everybody else is wrong and you're the only ones that's right? Friends, do you realize that tolerance in the face of evil is one of the most unloving things we could be? To, to I mentioned in, in prayer, and we've, we've had uh, family members and loved ones who are fighting cancer. And for us to say, well, we should tolerate that. No, that's not loving at all. And tolerance in the face of, of tragic evil and, and sin and wickedness is, is not Christian. It's not loving at all. Now let me tell you honestly, there is one aspect of tolerance that we should maintain, especially as Christians. That is, we must, we must respect each other's right to disagree. Even Jesus Christ respects our right to reject Him and go to hell if we choose to. Even Jesus respects that right. And friends, even if that means that we have friends or loved ones and we believe, in fact, we know based on our faith in God's word that they are dreadfully wrong and their wrongness will have eternal consequences, we must respect their right to reject Jesus Christ. I know it's not, it's not easy, and I'm not saying we can't do something to try to influence them. 
But friends, nobody's going to get saved. Nobody's going to come to Jesus and love him by having the gospel shoved down their throats unwillingly against their will. Nobody will respond to Christ or the gospel in that way. So that being said, the politically correct tolerance of our modern era is not a virtue at all. So what about this deal with Christians being intolerant and arrogant? And the reality, friends, is this. It's all about attitude. It's all about attitude. The real issue is not whether or not we make truth claims that may exclude someone or leave someone out. Excuse me. The real issue is the attitude that accompanies our portrayal of the claims of Christ and the demands of God's word on the world around us. It's the attitude that counts. Let me invite your attention to a passage of Scripture, and this is the end, by the way, not the beginning. We're just kind of doing things backwards. We're ending with the Scripture this morning. John chapter 1. To me, this passage of Scripture, uh, and, and we'll unpack it just a little bit as we close, but it, in, in, it encapsulates the picture of Jesus that ought to inform the way we portray Jesus to the world. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, if anybody had a right to be what we would say is intolerant, it would be the Son of God. If anybody would have a right to make demands on the culture and on the world that he came to, it would be Jesus. John here tells us that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word, that which was from the beginning. He existed before time began, before the creation of this world. He will continue to exist long after this world falls to dust. He is the eternal Word of God, the revelation of the Father. And if anybody had a right to be intolerant and to lay down the rule of law and be a dictator and say, you no good, dirty, rotten, this is the way it ought to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. If anybody would have a right to do that, it would be the Son of God. Yet, and I'm, and I'm quoting, my sister sometimes has a beautiful way with words, and last Christmas or maybe the Christmas before, she was talking and, and reflecting on the incarnation, and she used this phrase to sum up the incarnation, that God muted himself in Christ. God put himself, all of his essence and everything that he was, in the form of a little 
human baby that could do nothing but cry. The Word of God came into this world in a form that could not even speak a word for Himself. Isn't that amazing? God muted Himself in Christ. Yes, He grew and became a man and lived His life of about 33 years and then went to the cross, taking our sins upon Himself, and then He rose again the third day. And in His life, we see a man, Jesus the Christ, who was easy on people, but hard on sin. He was easy on people, but hard on sin. Look at Jesus as He deals with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and He talks with her, His interaction with her. Look at Jesus as He interacts with the woman taken in adultery. You remember the story of the religious leaders that brought this woman to Jesus and and to His feet and says, Lord, teacher, this woman was taken in, in adultery in the very act, and the law says we should stone her. What do you say? He just stooped down as if he did not hear and began to write in the sand. And then after their insistence, he turned, I imagine, to look at them and said, All right, you that is without sin cast the first stone. And the scripture says they dispersed from the eldest to the youngest. All of them went away and left that lady alone with Jesus. And he looked at her and said, Woman, Where are your accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And he said, Then neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. In Jesus, we see a beautiful picture of the Word of God. God become flesh and someone who was hard on sin but easy on people. Think of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's not a preacher worth his salt in this world that wouldn't love to have someone come and say, Pastor, I'm really interested in salvation. Preacher, how can I be saved? Tell me. Oh, my goodness. We would be all over that. Well, let me show you the Roman road. Let me tell you about the four spiritual laws. Let me talk to you. And, And we would just be so... So elated and delighted, but Jesus looked deeper and saw the the real need of that man's heart. And he said, here's what you do. You go and sell everything that you have and give your possession, give away the money to the poor, and then come and follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says that man went away sorrowfully because he had great wealth. He had many possessions. And you know, Jesus let him walk away. Jesus let him walk away. He did not harangue. He did not uh, insist uh, on impressing the demands of the gospel on that man. He let him walk away. And Christians, there are times when we must let people walk away. (coughs) Then think of the picture of Jesus cleansing the temple. 
when he walked in and he saw the money changers and those that sold animals for sacrifice there. And in one place in the Gospels, it says that he made a whip with cords and physically drove out the money changers and flipped over the tables. And this is not a, a typical understanding in our minds of our, our, our image of the sweet Jesus, the sweet baby Jesus laying in a manger. This is not the way we picture him. But friends, we need to understand that in Jesus we have a Savior, a Christ, who is easy on people but hard on sin. So what should we do with this? What should we do with this? Well, for the non-Christian or the person that may be affected very deeply by this idea, this understanding that Christians seem to be intolerant and arrogant, um, <clears throat> there may be times when you need to look away from the church. I say that with shame and regret. Yes, we as Christians are responsible to be an accurate portrayal of Jesus Christ. But there are times when people may need to look away from the church when the church is failing to provide an accurate reflection of who Jesus is. When what the church looks like is a caricature, a cartoon image of Jesus that doesn't portray him accurately, then we need to say, go to God's word, go to the gospel story, and look at who Jesus really was. Because you see, friends, the failures of the church, the failures of Christianity, are not because of Jesus. It's they come from the times that the church has failed to live up to the testimony, the life that Jesus calls us to. Christian, what do we do with this? First of all, let me tell you that when you're dealing with the truth, it's okay to be intolerant. When you're dealing with the truth, it's okay to be intolerant. What matters is not the fact that we make certain truth claims. What really counts is the attitude with which we do it. That we remember our God, who is the creator of this universe and the sustainer of everything in it. He is holding it all together right now with the word of his power. That he came into this world in the form of a baby. He muted himself. He revealed God in a way that people could identify with. And people, that is the way we need to reveal Christ to the world. To do it in a way that is an accurate reflection and to say, God, if there's anything in me that is not like Jesus Christ, would you deal with that in me that does not accurately reflect Christ? Let me invite you to stand with me, please.